The following podcast is created and sponsored by High Beam Ministry. Who is there? Special delivery. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I love you. God said there's coming a day when I'm going to shake the world. But some things will not be shaken. Some things remain. In other words, there's coming a time when the world will be pressed and there'll be no way out. Those times come in your life, in your home. Tension, friction, financial trouble. You're pressed and there doesn't seem to be a way out. There is an answer, there is a way. Jesus said, I am the way. But in the midst of all this changing, there are some things that never change. Think of it a moment. What never changes? The nature of God doesn't change. God hasn't changed. He hasn't changed to adapt himself to our generation. God is unchanging. I am the Lord God, I change not. God is unchanging in His holiness. We're all guilty of coming short of God's holy requirements. And we're all sinners and we're all in need of the grace and mercy of God. And that's why the Lord Jesus came and died on the cross. He died for your sins. He died for mine. And God took your sins and laid them on Christ. God changes not in His holiness. And let me tell you, because He is our holy God, He is also unchanging in his judgment. There is a judgment day coming. Our God is a consuming fire. Welcome to the Airzatz Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your truth barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Well, Truth Barista, we're trying to get our heads on straight in in our conversations over the last few weeks, and, and today is no exception. We want it to be on straight, not crooked, not sideways. What does all that mean? Well, what that means, and we've been having a lot of fun with this, that, you know, we have a worldview. Every one of us has the way of looking at the world. And this is really true when you're looking at the scriptures, when we're talking about the Bible, because the Bible was written by ancient Hebrews and it was written by first century Jews. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into their point of view when they were getting the download from the Holy Spirit. And as they were writing these things from the Holy Spirit, their experience, their language, their worldview into the scriptures. Now, there is a difference between the Hebraic Middle Eastern worldview and the Western 
Greco-Roman or Greek-Roman point of view. And that's what we've been talking about. What is the difference between the two? And most people would say, yeah, there isn't. Oh, yes, there is. As a matter of fact, when we were going through some of these basic areas, such as, you know, we were talking about the mind. We were talking about how does the Western mindset look at the universe? How does the Hebraic mindset look at the universe? And we're kind of going through these various categories the universe, God, how God guides people or God's people, the idea of God's people. There's a big difference between how the Western mindset and the Hebraic mindset looks at God's people. So we're going to do, I'm going to do a quick recap of how the two different mindsets view God. So are you ready? I am. I am. I've got my notepad out. Go ahead. Yep. And I see you've got your little twisty sippy straw in your espresso. That's <laughs> rather you. clever of you. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, got to have a little fun during the day, right? Just don't slurp too loud. Okay, so here we go. Okay. Now, regarding God, the Western mindset, the Greek mindset, argues for God's existence, but the Hebrew mindset doesn't. It assumes God's existence. Why? Because the scriptures start out, in the beginning, God. No argument. He's there. So that's the Western mindset. In the Greek mindset, God is philosophically understood. God is love. God is, it's a bunch of descriptors. But in the Hebrew mindset, God is understood functionally. In other words, by what he does. So the Western would say God is love. The Hebraic mindset would say God is loving. One is an adjective. One is a verb. Mm. God is in action. This is really important because in the Western mindset, that makes God more distant and more silent. But in the Bible mindset, God is close and he speaks and he speaks constantly. The Western mindset, God is passive. He just kind of winds up creation and lets it go. But in the Hebrew Bible mindset, God acts. He's constantly working with human beings. He's interrupting human history. He's shaping human history and he's moving human development toward this end goal. See the difference between the two? I do. Absolutely. So in the Western mindset, we know about God. He's this intellectual idea that we discuss. You know, we talk about, so talking about the idea of God is enough for most people. And at best, we're kind of aware of God at times, but mostly he's just this idea in our head. Not so in the Hebrew Bible mindset. He's very experiential. You don't think about him. You experience him. And through experience, you get to know him. So God is an encounter with a personal God. Experiencing God is the goal, not just knowing about him. And the goal is, is constantly being aware of God. That's why when you read through the scriptures, like the Psalms, the psalmist is constantly talking to God. He's talking about how God is working with him or even working against him. And he's always appealing, God, come close, work with me, help me out of this situation. It's always this constant interaction and experience with God. Whereas the philosophers on the Greek side simply mull God over and we think of him theologically and try to cram him in a little theological box. Hmm. Well, <laughs> I have a practical question because it seems, and we've talked about this before, that much of Western Christianity has gotten cognitive. You know, it's, it's the ascent to God through the mindset, like you're unpacking, like the Greek mindset. There are portions of Christianity, of course, where everything is experiential. They want to experience God. So should we be praying that way or seeking God? Both are important. I mean, we need to know about God cognitively.
figuratively, but we also need to experience him. So should we pray for more experience? I, I'm just curious how we can get to that Hebraic mindset. I I think it's a it's a mix of both, but I lean more Hebraically experiential. Now, we need to understand God intellectually. I mean, God has given us ideas about himself, but we have to understand the Bible is written Hebraically. So we come to know God intellectually by the experience we have with him. That's the point. The trouble with the Western mindset is if I just get enough information about God, I'm fine. This is why many people, and this is the fault of many evangelical pastors, sad to say, if I just get the information about God and his salvation out to my congregation, they will make mental agreement to that and they shall be saved. Oh, no. That's not the Bible way. The Bible way is, I will reveal God's word to you through which he reveals himself to you, and then you begin to interact with him, see, experiential, and he moves into your life, changes your life, and now it's an experiential walk ongoing every day with God. That's the difference between the two. So salvation is not an intellectual thing to be grasped. Salvation is an experiential thing to be lived. Do you see the difference between the two? I do, and and I think that's, uh, you know, that's the fault, as I say, of Western Christianity. Most seminaries train from a Greek mindset then, right? Let's exegete a passage of Scripture, mentally figure out what it means, and and have that kind of thing be the experience, is the meaning of the, of the verse. Right. Now, you do have a problem with this, because on the other experiential side, you have people who are, let's, let's call the ball here, okay? The Pentecostal charismatics. These are people who really want to experience God, and I don't fault them, because the Bible portrays a genuine life with God as experiential. So when the Holy Spirit begins to move in a person's life, and they experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit, they experience the fruit of the Holy Spirit. They experience God speaking to them. This really excites them because now they're experiencing the Bible as written, and that's what they want. However, we do need to have those intellectual tools to be able to, how do I process this revelation? So if, if I'm experiencing, if I'm having a spiritual experience, how do I know it's God? Or is it just me? Or as we've talked about in the last couple of weeks, is it demonic? Where is it coming from? So we do need the intellect. God gave us a brain and he doesn't tell us to check it at the door of the church. Both of these things have to work together. But what I'm saying is most of the church up to this point in history has been very intellectualized toward God. We need a balance between the, both of them. And I think, in my humble opinion, that the experiential end of God it's very, very important. So, for example, dealing with God, it's very theologically based understanding God's in a box, etc. It's like having a piece of cheesecake, and the way you quote-unquote enjoy it is describing how creamy it looks, the beautiful crust and the frosting. You know, that's the way many people approach God. On the other hand, in the Hebraic mindset, God is revelation-based understanding. He's boundless. He's beyond measure. You can't put him in a box. And the approach to God is, shut up and give me the cheesecake to eat. I want to experience the cheesecake. Mm. You know, I don't just want to sit there and look at it and describe it. So when our approach to God's word, God's word is taught by special knowledge 
Whereas in the Hebraic mindset, the word God is revealed in flesh and demonstrated. This is why when God talks to people, he says, walk out my word. It's an action, not think about my word, which is very static. Do you, do you see the difference between the two? Well, I do. In fact, I put it into an equation. Experience over word equals relationship. Would that be correct? Yes, I, th- I think that's a very good assessment. Both of those have to be in play, but hebraically experience is extremely important. Well, so many times people will experience God, like, like you're saying with the charismatic Pentecostal groups, and experience trumps the word. Now that's not right, right? No, because the word is the written revelation of God. So if you get an experience, you need to go to the Word to see how it matches up with the Word. You can't divorce the two. However, if you just have the Word and no experience, what kind of life do you have with God? It's very dry. Is it genuine or is it simply intellectual? You can't think your way into the kingdom. God has to act in your life to draw you into the kingdom. Experience versus intellect. But again, I don't want to put them against each other. They do have to work together. Mm -hmm. So here's an idea. Let's move to the next section. What about God's guidance in our lives? How do we get guidance? Okay, in the Western mindset, we listen to man's voice. The preacher up front tells us what to do. The teacher tells us what to think. But in the Hebraic mindset, it's God's word and his voice that's our primary leading through life. The Western mindset is relativistic, which means there's subjective truth. It's the truth as I perceive it. We see a lot of this today infecting our culture. You know, oh, there's no objective truth. It's all relative. You have your truth and I have my truth. And if our truths contradict each other, it doesn't matter because your truth and my truth is my truth. And that's the way it is. That's very postmodern thinking. And frankly, it's stupid. Truth is truth. It is objective. So now we're over into the Hebraic side. The truth is consecrated, dedicated to God type truth. It comes from God. He is the objective standard for truth. So this is why some people can say, well, you know, science says, or I feel that a baby is just a blob of tissue, you know, so therefore I can abort the baby and blah, blah, blah. But according to scripture, scripture says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. From the very moment I was in my mother's womb, God was organizing my days ahead of me. And you look at that and you go, there's no wiggle room here. That is the objective truth. Why? Because the objective truth, the standard for truth is God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when the Western mindset looks at Jesus and says, well, his truth is good, but, you know, Buddha's truth is good, and the Jehovah's Witness truth is good, and the philosopher's truth is good, even the atheist truth is good. No, they all have to line up with the truth, Jesus, if you're going to have a biblical mindset. In the Western mindset regarding guidance, my choice prevails. But in the Hebraic mindset of the Bible, the king's choice prevails. Doesn't matter what you want, and it doesn't matter what you think. It's the king's will, it's the king's choice, it's the king's intent that is most important. You must line up with him, whereas in the Western mindset, we want God to line up with 
us really is kind of a sinful thing because now we want to make God in our image as opposed to the biblical Hebraic mindset where we are made in his image. We follow the king. The king doesn't follow us. Well, and I often wonder when it comes to biblical interpretation, people will preach a certain passage of scripture and they westernize it like Hello, that has nothing to do with the intent of the original when Jesus spoke it. And address that a little bit. Well, yeah, that's true. And that's just good Bible interpretation. You have to understand the context in which the scripture was written. And the context includes not just the language and the customs of the day, but the mindset of the people who wrote it. What was the Roman world like? What was the Jewish person's life like in Roman times? What was the ancient Hebrews life like back when God revealed himself to Moses or during the time of the kings? And it's kind of tough because these people obviously aren't alive. We can't ask them, but we can try to determine it from the scriptures as we read through it. For example, the psalmist is very experiential with God. However, God, give me your thoughts. Let me know your ways so that I might, and here it is experientially, walk according to your thoughts and your ways. Well, you know, I have always thought that God's word is universal. It says exactly what it means, but that's not always the case, right? I mean, you have given us examples in the past where people will say, well, as you do it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And everyone uses that passage to deal with the poverty and the poor in our land. But but you said, no, that's really not not what it means. And I just throw this in so our conversation can have a relevance to it. You know, that means however we treat Jewish people. Is that correct? I mean, I want to know exactly what you think on that. That's the context of what Jesus is saying. It's talking about the sheep and the goat nations. It's not talking about the poor people. Okay. And when Jesus says, how you have treated the least of these, my brethren, see, that's the key. As my wife says, we have to read all the words. Okay. (laughs) Read all the words. They're very important. Perfect. Okay. So that in the context of that, he's talking about in the end, when all of the nations are brought before the Lord, the sheep nations are going to be those nations that dealt well with his brethren, the Jews. Those goat nations will be labeled goat nations because they hurt his people or ignored his people. That's the context. But as we've spoken before, that doesn't negate our call to minister to poor people. We find that back in Moses' Torah, in his law, where he says, it's your responsibility to take care of the poor, to get them back on their feet, and to minister to them and help them to be productive members of society once again. So getting the right mindset helps us to understand the scriptures and apply them better. It's more than just a mental exercise. It's how do we do this? Not how do we think about this? It's how do we do this? That's the point. Here's an idea. Let's talk about the idea of God's people. So when you think about the church... There's a difference between God's people in a Western mindset and God's people in a Hebraic mindset. So you ready? I am. Okay, here we go. When we think of the church today, the people of God, our life as God's people is very compartmentalized. We go to church on Sunday morning, some go Saturday, some go at other times, but there is a period of time where we go to church 
And we live life differently during those times. For God's people, it's divided between I've got my secular side of life and I have my sacred side of life. So Sunday morning is my sacred side. But you know, the rest of the week belongs to me. Hmm. That's very Western compartmentalized thinking. Hebraically, it's far different from that. Hebraically, all of life is sacred. There's no such thing as a secular moment in your life. It's unified. It's integrated. What we would call church life is just everything in our life is our faith walk, not just Sunday mornings. God is in everything we do. And whereas life on the Western side says, well, you got your secular times and you have your sacred times in the Hebraic mindset, everything is sacred. When you wake up in the morning, it's a sacred moment. When you live your life throughout the day, every word you say to somebody, every action you do for them, what you do at your job, it's all sacred. Why? Because it's done unto God. When you sleep at night, it's your sacred recharge moment with God. And you, you know, And you see this in scripture. The psalmist says, when I lay myself down, I'm resting myself in your arms. And when I awake, you will be there. See, there's the mindset that God is all-encompassing. Paul says, whatever you do, do it to God's glory as unto the Lord. There's the Hebraic mindset. He doesn't say, just do this good religious stuff over here and then live how you want the rest of the time. No, Paul is a typical Hebrew. He's a typical Hebraic thinker. Everything you do is for God fixing your car, raising your kids, cooking supper for somebody, even your off moments when you're watching TV. God's part of that. Uh, that kind of really, uh, you know, wrecks what you watch in the evening, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. You're, now you're gone to meddling. But anyway, yeah, you're now right. I'm stepping on toes. <laughs> yeah. So with God's people on a Western mindset, there's more of an intellectual agreement with God, whereas in a Hebraic mindset, God's people trust him. Again, it's not what we think about him. It's how we interact with him. We trust him. It's a very personal and individual relationship with God. In the Western mindset, God's people are an organization. In a Hebraic mindset, we're an organism. And you see that in the church today. In a Western mindset, what constitutes a successful or alive church? We got a lot of programs. There's a lot of activity in these programs. Mm -hmm. In a Hebraic sense, a successful church is how many disciples do you have and how well are they walking with the Lord? Mm. Wow. You don't have to have a program. You have a people who are walking with God. Programs aren't bad, but they can never take the place of the organism. If you have a body without a spirit, it's dead. Mm -hmm. And you can have a church that's highly active with programs and it'd be dead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got yourself a zombie church there. Okay. It's the living dead. But if you have the spirit without the body, the spirit's still alive. Now, ideally what you want are both. You do need to have some structure, but it's the organism that should take priority. Are we alive with God? Are we walking with God? Well, I think that salvation is similar to that, right? I mean, today we define salvation as sometimes just a decision. Decide for Christ, make him your Lord and Savior. But that doesn't necessarily mean you've surrendered, because what you're talking about in the Hebraic mindset is a surrendered person. 
because you can't live that life unless you're surrendered, right? You're always going to departmentalize your life. This is my sacred life. This is my secular life. A surrendered life would be everything is sacred. That's what you're saying. Exactly. And salvation is not, again, you know, I just agree with God. Salvation is now I start walking with God. That's the difference between the two mindsets. And hopefully by now you begin to see, wow, are many of our churches shot through with this Western mindset? What would happen if we changed more toward the Hebraic mindset? Here's another example. In a Western mindset, much of what we call church life is non-participation spectators. We show up, we sit in our chair, we watch the performance on the stage, we listen to the speaker, and do we interact with God? Yeah, God still touches us because his spirit is active, but mostly it's a spectator sport. However, when you get to the Hebraic mindset and the Jewish community, it's more interactive and it's a community in action with one another. The spiritual life is not the Sunday morning performance. The spiritual life is how we interact with each other and the world through the rest of the week. That is so insightful, but I don't know how you unpack or undo the three-point sermon, the six cover tune worship songs, the prayer and dismissal or benediction. I mean, how do you unpack that? There really isn't a whole lot of interaction there, right? I mean, I'm not saying that's bad, but what you're saying, it sounds like that uh, may not be the best. Well, in my approach, I've been in a lot of churches that have gone both ways. I have found in churches that are more free-flowing in their worship capture more of that Hebraic sense, where things aren't timed down to the second, where the pastor is not so much giving a a lecture, where the pastor interacts more with the congregation. Because, you know, even in the, the first century synagogue, you didn't have the pastor, let me correct that, you didn't have the rabbi standing up front in a lecture hall. The bima was a raised portion in the midst of the people. And in the midst of the people, he shared ideas with the people, and there was interaction with him. That was the difference between the two. So in a church setting where you get more of this community thing is, in, let's say, more in the Christian ed classes. This is where you would get more of the participatory thing. And in those classes, you would say, okay, you've now studied to learn, but you've learned now to do. That's good. Go and do. Love it. Well, you know, Truth Barista, whether it's the education classes or today, probably it'd be more of the small group where the participation, you know, it takes place. As a leader, I would imagine as a pastor, you'd be scared to death to kind of open up and let, you know, anybody stand on that Bema seat or whatever and start talking because you're going to get some whack jobs. No offense, <laughs> but that's true. You know it. That's true. What that means is you have to have mature elders in a congregation. In fact, in the first century synagogue, the elders were called the zakain. They were the bearded ones. These are men who have walked with the Lord for a long time. They were esteemed because they had knowledge coupled with experience, which equals wisdom. These were wise men of tested knowledge through experience. And so these were the men that kept watch. They were the overseers of the congregation they were the ones who would shepherd those who are learning and they would say oh this man over here is really excelling in his grasp of scripture so we would like him to study more and to share with the congregation in a modern day setting when i lead a class 
I'm kind of the facilitator more than the finger wagging lecturer. So I'll put out ideas, let the class discuss them. And I'm always on alert that if somebody says something off base, you guide it gently back to, well, you know, that was in the ballpark, but let's look at it in this sense. So it's more of a community interaction thing than a lecture. And of course you wouldn't open up the lecture hall or that type of thing to somebody who doesn't have experience in learning. So I hope that helps. It does help a lot. I mean, I suppose it depends on the size of the congregation and the audience that you're addressing. And more has to be said about this, Truth Barista. But I think we're getting close to the lunch hour, and we're going to have to call it a day for our conversation yeah. today. But I love what you said. Any last words? Remind me next Friday when we get together for the Bible study, I want to pick it up in this church life thing because I want to compare what we see as modern day church in quotation marks versus the first century synagogue, the Hebraic idea of what does it mean to gather as God's people for worship? You're going to be amazed at the difference. Okay, can't wait. Truth is getting harder to find today, but there is no shortage of it here on the Truth Parisa podcast. Spread the word. We deal with the uncompromised truth in every podcast. We are a high beam ministry production. Hi, this is Pastor Jay Christensen, your truth barista. I want to thank you for coming here to high beam ministry. And in this ministry, we have a plethora of great things for you to explore. Obviously, you're listening to this podcast, and we want to thank you for that. But hey, sidle on over to the other page and check out the Frothy Thoughts blog. We have a new thing coming, a book. It's called Frothy Thoughts from Your Truth Barista, and it's the first cup. And we'll have more books coming throughout this year based on our blog. Plus, you're going to enjoy some new teachings we'll be posting on the Feasts of the Lord and their prophetic significance with Jesus' first and second coming and a wonderful video study on the book of Daniel. So those teachings will be coming up this year as well. So we want to invite you to contact us at highbeamministry at gmail.com if you have any questions. Love to answer them. But just keep coming back. Subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the articles. You'll be notified when new material drops. Thanks for joining us. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through RSS feed. Go to our website, look for the RSS button, press it, and then enter your email. You'll be notified when a new podcast drops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.